You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Uh, this past week, where the heat was coming on, our home doesn't have central air. And uh, in fact, for years, we didn't have air conditioning at all. We're kind of up on a hill, and we just kind of enjoyed the cool air. You know, usually at night it would cool off. We'd open the windows. And anyway, so we did have a big unit given to us a few years ago, but seeing what the temperature was supposed to hit, like 97, 98, and 99 all week long, I thought, okay, I am not going to get any points if my kids are sweating to death all week. So I broke down and bought two little air conditioners. You know, keep in mind, there's nine of us now living at home, five different bedrooms. I bought two upstairs, all right? So I didn't, uh, not the big spender, but anyway. So I, I bought two small ones, and I decided the two littlest ones just wasn't quite enough warmth, especially in my bedroom. So uh, uh, I guess where one of those went, you know, I, I, my rationale was that's the hottest room upstairs, which it is. It gets all the sun, and if we can at least make that one cool, then the rest of the house upstairs gets cooler, and it kind of worked. But... Uh, but I decided that that little one, the littlest one we got, wasn't quite had enough horsepower. So I got another one, just kind of the next step up. And uh, when I opened the second one, I went from a basic, I mean, trimmed down air conditioner, two little knobs, you know, pretty foolproof, pretty idiot proof, right? The next one I got, and I only paid 50 bucks more, I got a remote control five buttons, electronic, all digital readouts, and all these pause and settings, and I thought, I really just want two little knobs. I just want this thing to go on and off. I don't want my air conditioner to, you know, run the Indy 500. I just, I don't need it to be Bluetooth hooked up to my computer. I really just, on and off. I, I like technology. I'm not a technophobe, if there is such a thing. But, you know, I kind of like, I'm old school when it comes to washing machines. I just run. I don't need you doing all kinds of fancy stuff and digital. You wear out when it's too fancy. I just like solid state. So, you know, I think there's a lot of life that's like that. Anybody that sometimes you just want things simple, right? I'm the guy that goes into Starbucks and I still can't tell you if it's grande, whatever. Like, I don't know what the sizes are. They just are not logic. I just, I'm the guy that goes in, can I have a medium coffee, you know, medium pikes, whatever, and they're looking at me like, dude, we've been around for 10 years and you still don't have us figured out, because I like it simple. I'm a simple guy. We're going to see this morning as we begin our series with first in Corinthians, Paul, uh, the apostle, wrote a letter to the church that was in Corinth, a city in, in Greece. In fact, there's a modern city of Corinth just like five miles or so from the, the original uh, city was there when Paul's day. And we're going to see that this church, while they loved Jesus and they knew Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they allowed a lot of stuff to crowd into their life and their faith. In fact, because of it, they had a lot of inner turmoil. In fact, we'll see this morning, they had some divisions and some factions going on and just all kinds of things. In fact, of all the letters that Paul writes, all the churches that he writes to, this one we would say was the most messed up. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be famous or infamous about being the most messed up church, if you will. But this one really had a lot of problems. And Paul is kind of writing like the apostle. He's like the parent. And you can't, this is not a text thing going on. Thank the Lord Snapchat wasn't around or we wouldn't have any of this recorded so that, you know, it's still here 2,000 years later. But it's all written down for us so that we can learn ourselves for our life. So this morning... We're especially going to focus on what it means to have a simple faith. 
And, and as we go through the, the letter through, uh, that Paul wrote to Corinth, we'll see that they had a lot of divisions. And I think at the heart of it is because as they allowed their faith, they allowed other things to complicate and to get them off the focus of what it really should be, and that's Jesus. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians. It's first because it's the first letter that we have. We actually have two letters to the church. It took, Paul not only wrote one, but he wrote two letters. In fact, we have two of them, but if you really read carefully both letters, you'll see that it refers to two other letters. They were so challenging, he had to write them four letters trying to straighten things up. But only two of them really um, that we have today and are part of the Bible. So turn with me to the first one, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and read the first two or three verses with me. Paul says this, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes. To the church, this is written just like a typical letter of that day. They didn't say, dear Helen, or dear whatever, you know, or like we sent an email today, just put a name and write what you're going to say, and sincerely, or whatever your thing is at the bottom. This was the way they, they rolled. So they would write their name and their title about who they are, and then they'd write to the church and all this kind of flowing stuff. Pretty common for all letters of their day. And so in verse 2, the Bible says this, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, those who are saved, those who are forgiven of their sins that God has set apart and made holy in Christ Jesus is what he's saying. Called to be saints. God has called you to be saints. Saints are not primarily dead people who are really famous and did amazing things that got canonized by the church. Saints in the Bible are just people who are forgiven of their sins that have a relationship with Christ, that know Him as their Lord and Savior, that He has declared them to be holy. That's why He's writing to the church and calling them saints. They're all saints. And so He says, called to be saints together with all those who in every place not just Corinth, but everywhere, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And here's a little wish he gives them. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me, would you? Father, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you would take these truths and apply them to our heart. Father, this book, as we know, is a supernatural book. It is your eternal word that reverberates through history and through our lives today. It is just as powerful today as the day that you inspired Paul to write it for this church. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would penetrate, would speak into our heart, into our soul. These words, these truths, may we leave this place truly changed. May we leave this place one step further in our spiritual journey. Lord, there are people here I know this morning that need encouragement, some that needs challenge, some I'm sure that need conviction. Lord, wherever each one of us are today, I pray that you would use this passage, use these truths to our good and for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice, if we are to keep our faith simple, it means that we should not isolate ourselves from other Christians. 
Paul is about to wade into some deep stuff here. And keep in mind, Paul started this church. This was a church he started in his second missionary journey. If you know the book of Acts, it was just after the time when he and his party, the people he was traveling with, he had this dream. He saw this man from Macedonia. We would say somebody who was Greek. And in his dream, he was calling him over. And, and Paul and his group kind of wanted to take a right-hand turn and go uh, east into Asia. But as Paul dreamt that, and as they prayed, and as they considered what that was, they believed that God was telling them, no, you need to take a left-hand turn, and you need to go west, closer to the Roman Empire. And he was in Turkey at the time, and so they went across the waterway and went into Greece. And so Corinth was a church that Paul himself had started. In fact, he, had, he was there longer than most other places where he started churches. Paul was this, just this crazy guy that loved Jesus and went around telling people about Christ and making disciples and helping introduce people to him. And along the way, he got a lot of people mad, and he was arrested and thrown in prison, and he was stoned multiple times. Just a, a crazy, crazy life that he led. And so he knew many of these people, if not most, intimately well. They would have looked to him as the one who brought them truth, that brought them the message of salvation. And so they would have looked up to him, and they would have seen his authority as an apostle. So he's writing to them with significant authority. And he's about to wade into a number of heavy topics, everything from spiritual gifts that were just, there was a lot of confusion going on. In fact, the Lord's Supper, we're going to be participating. They weren't doing that well, and there was, there was conflict and some stuff going on there, some prejudice, um, marriage issues, or just a number of things that they had questions about and challenges. And already, Paul is subtly beginning to deal with some things, kind of laying the foundation. Notice that Paul, in, in verse 2, makes a big deal that he says, in kind of his introduction, he says, you know, he says, I'm writing to you the church, God's church, the church of God that's there in Corinth, and, and to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, and you're called to be saints together with all those in every place who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. When you and I have our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord of our life, God saves us and adopts us into his family. He makes us a part of his legit, bona fide, real deal family. And it's not just for us. It's not just for us in a single church. It's for those who everywhere, people in every place, call upon the name of the Lord. By that, not so much just people who are praying to God, because there's a lot of people in the world praying to God, but these are people who have called out, who've reached out to Jesus Christ and asked Him, surrendered their life for Him to be their Lord, they're called upon His name, all that His name stands for, the truth, the holiness, the fact that it was through Jesus who died on the cross and rose again. And what Paul is telling us is that we as Christians, as those who claim the name of Jesus, as we have surrendered our life to Him and bowed our knee to Him and lived for Him, that we are in a family much bigger than just ourselves. See, what was going on in Corinth is there was some isolation that was happening. They were getting, they were getting, they were becoming kind of elitist. 
They were into uh, spiritual gifts to a degree that they were almost super spiritual, if you will, and they were pursuing these words of knowledge and they were pursuing all of these things. And because of it, they were beginning to get prideful, thinking that they alone kind of had the keys to the kingdom. They alone had everything right. They alone were the real true followers, if you will. And Paul is already saying, look, guys, we're in a connection community Together, we're all calling on the name of Jesus. This is not just about you as a church. You see, when God saves us, He puts us into a community of faith. Whether we want to acknowledge it, whether we want to submit to that, whether or not we want to be fully a part of that, it is a reality already. It's easy in a Christian life, and there's a tendency... And I'm not sure why this is. I've been there before, and maybe it's a part of who we are as humanity. Maybe sometimes we get fed up with things. Because let's face it, it's not easy living with a big family, right? I mean, you know, ask my kids. They love each other. But, you know, when you've got seven brothers and sisters, and you're all rooming together and sharing everything, you can get on people's nerves just a little bit. It's fully possible. In fact, some of you know you can get on each other's nerves when it's just two of you. Maybe worse, because, you know, at least if there's a bunch of you, you can just kind of leave one alone and you kind of go, you know, I don't like you today. I'm going to go hang out with so-and-so, you know. We, we do. And sometimes we isolate ourselves. We withdraw. We either get our feelings hurt or we just something happens and we, and, and we begin to back up. If not physically, we do it in our heart. And Paul is already telling them as a church, hey, gang, this is not just about you and your little church in Corinth. You're a part of something much bigger here. In fact, because of this, you're actually accountable to a much larger thing out there of people who are known as Christians the globe over. When you and I isolate ourselves in our heart and we take a step back and we, we don't give ourselves into community, into our church family, into our, our other Christians as well, one of two things is inevitably going to happen. One of two. Maybe three or four, but at least one of these two. You either become um, lonely and you become... Um, not fearful, but you become discouraged that comes out of loneliness because you don't, you're not getting encouragement that comes from other people. Or you become elitist, which is really at its heart prideful. I'm, I'm just the only one that's right. I'm the only one that's got this figured out. All these other churches are just messed up and you know we're the only ones holding a true faith. Both of those are ungodly, dishonor God, and misses the reality. This church at Corinth had a lot of problems, and Paul is already hinting at, you guys need to get out more. You need to get around some other churches and some other Christians and begin to figure some things out. So I want us as a church, as a whole, to avoid that. I must confess, in days gone by, I've had a little bit of that pride. There's a little bit of something in a seminary that does that to most seminary students. And it's not, it does, there's no part of that that should be a part of God's kingdom. But I've also experienced that as an individual sometimes, of just not being in fellowship and community, not so much ever not going to church, 
You can be, you can be isolated even all the while coming to church, but Paul tells us that we should be connected. We should be engaged with other fellow believers, and then we should recognize that when we're talking and meeting with people who are in other churches that even believe differently than us in some areas, to realize there should be a tremendous amount of respect and love for them, even if there are some differences of opinions about what Scripture teaches. There should be a level of humility. So that's the first thing. Simple faith means that you and I love Jesus. We're not insecure in what we believe. We know what we believe, and we keep the focus on the Lord Jesus and we engage and relate to other believers. Second thing simple faith does, it not only means that we are not isolated from other Christians, but it also means that we keep our focus on Jesus Christ. Look at what verse 4 says. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Let me just pause there. There's a phenomenal lesson in this. Paul was being accused by people in that church of all kinds of things. He was being run down. He was saying, they were saying that he was not qualified as an apostle. He shouldn't be listened to. They were, all, they were accusing him of, of not having uh, the right, if you will, to be an apostle. Who made you that and everything? And here Paul is writing to them, and you know what his attitude toward them? is thanksgiving. It's a lesson to us in church. It's a lesson to us in our life that Even if people are giving you a hard time and challenging you, we need to be able to step back. And he's not just blowing smoke. He's not buttering them up. He's genuinely thankful that even though there's a lot of stuff he's wading into and having difficulty for and working with, that he's thankful for them. And he goes on in verse 5, and he says that in every way you were enriched in him, talking about Jesus. It's like, I thank God for you that you've been enriched in Jesus. And all speech and all knowledge. Even, and he's talking about spiritual gifts there. He's already dealing with those things that he talks about in chapter 12 and 14, if you're familiar with this book at all. And he says in verse 6, Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gifts, see there it is, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he throws this verse in here, and it almost seems off topic, but it's not. Look what he says in verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul hits the second stage of his letter, typical of letters of his day and of all of his other letters. These are not just biblical letters, if you will, that was common convention for their day. And and typical for that fashion and for Paul, he would bring out things that he was thankful for and and not so much just pleasantries as just genuine things that he was thankful for. And he he already knows that he's going to have to wade into some challenging issue because the gifts were being so focused on that it was causing division and distractions and all kinds of stuff going on in their life. And he begins subtly already dealing with the heart of that. The real issue is not so much the gifts... Today in churches, if if some churches will make a lot about tongues or this or that, and other churches will make a lot about not being with tongues, and there's all this disagreement and confusion. And Paul's like, guys, let's set all that aside. I'm just grateful that God has blessed you and given you gifts and enriched your life completely. But 
You know what my real concern is, he says? This is what he's saying between the lines. You're missing the fact that right now God is sustaining you and your focus should be the fellowship that with Jesus Christ that he's called you into. Your focus should be that you're waiting for the revealing of Jesus. It's not about how many words of prophecy can you come up with and how many cool miracles or this or what kind of special words or special gifts and manifestations and all this stuff. It's like you guys are just about going off the rails with some of your super hyper-spirituality. Right now, your focus needs to be that we're waiting for the unveiling, the return and the revealing of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that's the focus that we should have and that God is going to sustain you. And when Jesus Christ comes back, you're going to be guiltless before him. You have nothing to worry about. And until that time, you should be focused upon the fact that God has called you into fellowship with Jesus. That's what your life should be all about. It should be about Jesus. For Paul, his life is, I will use a big word, Christocentric. It was centered, it was centric around Christ. It was around Jesus. Jesus was the filter for his life. He lived a very simple life, very simple focused. Everything in life with his filter that he would pass through with his decision making, with his beliefs, with his feelings, with his emotions, with the way he viewed the world, it had one thing, one thing in front of him, and that was Jesus. Very focused, very fixated there. And as Paul is beginning to talk with the church, he's like, you guys talk about Jesus. And you're focused on all this stuff, but you're beginning to miss the boat. In the middle of all of your religious expression and all your spirituality and all the stuff that you've got going on, you're beginning to ignore the fact that what the simple fact is that God wants for you to experience fellowship with Jesus. I mean, already in just the first five, six, seven verses, he is just time after time after time reminding us about the centrality of Jesus. Verse 1, he's like, I'm called to be an apostle of Jesus. And he says in verse 2, and by the way, you're sanctified in Christ Jesus. And you're not only just you, but everybody, everywhere who's called in the name of the Lord Jesus, who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And then he, he, he recognizes their gifts in verses uh, 4 and 5. He reminds them that, you know what? Those gifts that you have, the focus shouldn't be the gifts. It's the giver. It's Jesus who's enriched you. I think any person who receives a birthday gift or you give a birthday gift to somebody... If the person loves the gift more than they love you, that's almost a little offensive, right? That's, that's almost that way. My grandmother uh, was, lived in California, and I kind of grew up, not kind of, I did. I grew up on the East Coast, so I saw, I saw my grandfather twice in my life before he died, and uh, two, like, vacations, and saw my grandmother a little bit more than that. When she was older, we flew her out here, and that was an experience in and of itself. I'll leave that story for another time. But uh, because of it, my grandmother was old school. I mean, she was there when the model the Fords were first made. In fact, she told me she learned to drive in the hills of San Francisco. You ever seen some of those TV shows? Standard stick shift clutch and you didn't have to have a license in that day. Nobody had to like say that, you know, you are now licensed and can drive. She learned to drive and just, I mean, crazy woman. Just, we took her to the New York State Museum and she's like, oh yeah, that was my first car. You know, we're in the museum. I'm like, Cram, that's like the original, you know, I'm like you should be in the museum. So anyway, long story short, I didn't say that. I was a good grandson. 
But my grandmother, all true truth, was a little odd, you know, all across the board. But as a child, she wanted to get letters from me. It's probably today, like, if a parent just wants the kid to, you know, FaceTime them or text them or something, you know, just let me know you're out there and care. For her, it was letters. My dad's generation, he wants me to call him, so I call, right? It's not the text or whatever. And as a kid, and, and she kind of didn't kind of, she really just, to be honest with you, wanted to manipulate me. And as a little kid, I picked up on it. Like, you write me a letter, tell me what you want, I'll get you a birthday gift. And there was something a part of me that just felt like, that's just wrong. Like, I feel like a really bad grandson if I'm writing you just so I can get a gift. I, 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 granted, I didn't know at the time of 10 or 11, just I didn't get the whole distance thing and all of that. But there's just something messed up with that. And that's what Paul is trying to tell the church here at Corinth. Guys, you've got gifts, but your focus should be on the giver, not on the gift. Your love, your simple faith should be on the fact that God has enriched you and loved you. The fact that you have all of these gifts should, rather than loving the gifts and putting your focus there, it should cause your focus to be up here. You need to fixate on the reality that what God wants is for you to right now today have fellowship with Jesus Christ. Don't get so lost in that word. Today we don't talk about that. Well, I, I'm going to go home and have great fellowship with my wife. He's talking about intimacy. He's talking about community. He's talking about relationship. He's talking about a sense that, guys, God has called you. He has summoned you out of the ash pit, out of the sin and degradation and the junk of life. And the God of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, wants to spend time with you today. Not just tomorrow, not just in heaven one day, but today. Put your heart and your focus there. I get a little nervous sometimes in churches. Sometimes we get so focused on other things that we miss the simplicity of Jesus. Sometimes, and I'll speak to what maybe is more of a danger of the churches than I'm used to. We haven't, I've never been in a church so much that we put such an emphasis on spiritual gifts that we lost Jesus. Kind of left Jesus behind. But I have been in churches that sometimes we can get so focused on Bible studies, so focused on this stuff, that we almost leave Jesus. I get a little nervous when we start talking about, well, I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. Sometimes wanting to go deeper is code for saying, I'm bored and I'm really not, Jesus isn't enough. I just want to learn a lot more stuff. Now, we ought to have a deep relationship with Christ, but sometimes in churches, we want to fixate on all of the learning in the head and not so much the living and fellowship and relationship with Jesus. Let me illustrate it this way. I know I've been married to my wife now 20, ooh, there's a thing, where are we, 27 years, right, honey? Is she not in here? Ooh, I'm off scot-free. So I do the math, I was married in 91 in January, and I can't do it fast enough in my head up here talking at the same time. But anyway, I know obviously my wife really well. I know a lot about her. But I could go to some other experts, like medical experts, that could tell me a whole lot more about her than what I know. I mean, they could put her through an MRI and they could start talking about her small intestine and her large intestine and talk about her spleen and kidney. And I would be like, I don't need to go deeper on my wife on this. Like, this is not helpful. I don't need more facts and figures. I really don't care how much she weighs. I don't know exactly to the micron how tall she is. And I, 
I don't need to know more of this stuff about my wife. The thing that I enjoy about my wife is being able to wake up next to her and spend a day and to go canoe camping with her. And, you know, and all. I just want to fellowship and be with my wife. Sometimes if we're not careful in church, we substitute the knowledge and all of this stuff. And it's almost like we put God under a microscope. And we miss the fact that God wants us to just simply spend time with Him with Jesus. Now, don't hit me too hard. I'm not going off the rails and experiential. We can't know Jesus apart from the Bible, and we have to know a lot of facts and a lot of details to know Jesus. But sometimes we begin to step on that landmine too. And so our focus needs to be very clearly and subtly. All the while we're learning and growing the things that we know about God, and as we are going deeper in understanding Scripture, they should lead us a straight beeline, a direct line back to our relationship with Christ today. They should draw us in our relationship with Him to love Him more, to know Him more, not just understand, but to, to live for Him and surrender our life even more to Him. That's what God wants. It's a privilege for the God of heaven to reach down and call us, to summon us to be his child. That's what we should be excited about. That is what faith is really about. Third thing, and I'm done. Not only does simple faith mean that we need to not isolate ourselves from others, it means that our focus needs to be clearly on Jesus. But third, it means that we also protect the unity of our, our church family. Look at verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers. And this is pretty serious. He's invoking the name of the Lord Jesus here. Under inspiration of God, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you need to pay attention, to guys. This is serious. He says, here's what I'm, I'm appealing to you, that all of you would agree, and that there be no divisions among you, not a few, not less, none. No divisions, no separations among you, but instead that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Chloe was concerned apparently for the church, wrote a letter to Paul, we need your help. Like a kid appealing to mom or dad, can you step in? The kids are having trouble. And so Paul is writing back to deal with it. And he says, uh, he says this in verse 12, he says, What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus. He was another uh, well-known speaker and a well-known preacher of the truth in that day. Or I follow Cephas, which is Peter, Peter the Apostle. Or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Sounds like breakfast cereal, Crispus. I don't know, it just hit me as I read that. So that none, no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anybody else. He's like, I didn't baptize very many people. Here's the point. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. This is a hit at their spiritual gifts. I'm not using all this deeper high-end knowledge and all of this stuff that you guys are talking about. I'm just focused on Jesus and the gospel. 
Let, and here's why, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul said, guys, I'm concerned. And all this stuff and your spiritual expressions, you've got these factions, you've got teams, you've created a whole church league within your church. I'm a follower of Paul. Well, I got baptized and saved under Peter's ministry. And I'm a this. And Paul's like, what are you guys doing? Like, Jesus isn't divided. What are you doing? You've created teams and competition and disunity in the church body. Unity can come in, into a church so quickly and from all different kinds of things. You know, already as now as we've recently, as we've... Uh, chosen two more pastors to be a part of our church and serving, it would be easy to like, well, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm Dan's guy. I like Dan, or well, I like Sean better. I don't know who these other two guys are. Like, yes, you know, forget that. Or, well, I like Jeremy. I really like his music. I like him. He's younger. I'm going to forget Sean. It would be easy for that to begin to slip in. Some are like, oh, my goodness, I've said that. No, I'm kidding. It, we don't want any of that. It would be easy even with people coming from other churches. Well, in my last church, we did it this way. Or I love Pastor so-and-so, he did this. Can we do this here and do that? And it's easy for divisions to creep in, even when we don't mean to. And Paul's like, look, guys, get it together. Bring it down and in. This is about Jesus. Get onto the same page and be of the same mind and the same judgment about all of this. There are a few things, areas in life where we can get away with some divisions. Sports are one of those. They're okay, right? That's fair game. So you don't, we don't all have to be Jets fans, thank the Lord, to be a part of our church. That was like a reverse. You like how I slipped that in backwards? Some of you are like, I don't even know or care, and that's okay. Um, there's a lot of things that are fair game. But when it comes to church family, and it comes to even your own spiritual family, especially husband and wife. Those are things that we guard the unity with a vengeance. I mean, just nothing in the world should be allowed to separate that out ex except Jesus. If you've got somebody who knows Jesus and somebody doesn't, that's going to cause division. At the end of the day, all of us have to choose Jesus over everything. The Bible makes that so clear. But we should protect the unity of the body ourselves at all costs. Paul is like, guys, get it together. And his assumption is that they ought to be able to figure out. He kind of does what parents do when the kids are fighting in the back seat. Would you guys stop and chill? You know, I've done that like most parents. Afterwards, I'm like, how are they even going to know how to, what to do? Like, you know, there are people who get master's degrees and PhD in counseling to figure this stuff out. How's my third grader going to figure this out? Paul does play that a little bit here, but here's what he's doing. He's saying, guys, you ought to be adults before God who've surrendered their life to Jesus, have the Holy Spirit of God of heaven living inside of you. You have all the resources of heaven at your disposal. You ought to be able to figure out how to get this together and get your brain together. Let go of your pride, your jealousy. Bring forgiveness in the middle of this. Let go of envy and anger and whatever this stuff and selfishness that's causing you to have such fighting and disunity Deal with it. The God of heaven has forgiven you and he's, he's changed your life and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Let go of that sin and all of that junk that's separating you and get to the same mind together. You see, whenever there's disunity in the church or in people's lives, both sides need to take a really hard look 
at where their focus is. Because if your focus is really on Jesus, it's going to draw you to that other person, not away from them. It's not going to separate you. It's not going to exalt you and cause you to fight for your rights and, and you know, get attitude and pride and all of that. It's going to do the opposite. It's going to humble you. It's going to bring you, because you love Jesus, going to make you to deal with your own stuff and to own up to your own offenses and wrongs and apologize and forgive. And when that begins to happen with two people, then there's a disarmament and they come together and life moves forward. So Paul says, guys, keep a simple faith. When you keep a simple faith, Jesus is at the center. It puts you in the right community with other believers and it ultimately puts you in unity with others. So this morning, have you allowed other things to complicate in your life? And maybe God has pointed some things out to you that I've not even mentioned or even in this passage, but maybe you've allowed some Jesus substitutes in your life. This morning, take a few minutes to worship God. Take an inventory of your life. Maybe throw the garbage out a little bit. Maybe clean up, do a bit of dusting however that metaphor works in your heart. But think about Jesus being the center of your life. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.